the family has been the building block of society, one of the building blocks of society uh, since God created mankind, really. And civilizations have been built on the family. Of course, we know now there is certainly a war on the family. Especially, you know, in the United States where we feel it, we feel it on the news, we feel it in the schools, a war against the family, something that God has established, something that God put into place. A couple of uh, headlines I want to read about the status of the family in the U.S. 2014 Pew Research article, uh, published an article entitled, Fewer than half of U.S. kids today live in the traditional family. A Daily Signal article. Major, uh, I'm sorry, majority of U.S. teens don't live in intact families. The push on our modern uh, family, post-Christian, uh, I'm sorry, our modern post-Christian liberal society uh, lessens the importance of the family in society. Of course, we have the homosexual agenda. We've got the the issue with uh, the confusing girls and boys. What has it led to? It's led to problems. You know, to think that that the mass shootings that we see, depression, suicide that we see, isn't related to this. You know, as a society, we're fooling ourselves. And we'll see as we get into the, the sermon that these things are directly related to the family. Mass shooting, depression, suicide, drug abuse, legal drugs, and illegal drugs are influenced by this problem. Let's go to uh, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 1. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 1. Of course, Paul talking to Timothy... And looking forward, looking forward to our day now. Second Timothy 3 and verse 1. But you know this, in the last days, perilous times will come. We're living in the last days now. Perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. And, and that's, that's brought on by this downplaying of the importance of the family in society. Disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving. This is what we're seeing. This is why we have the mass shootings on a regular basis. Certainly that's not driven by love, by outflowing concern for others. Without self-control... That's certainly a lack of self-control. Brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasures, rather, rather than lovers of God, having a form of God, godliness but denying its power, and from such turn away. And of course, as God's people, we have a job. We have a, a commission, one, to preach the gospel to the world and the Ezekiel warning. But inside of our, our bubble, our family, it's our job to 
teach and train and build and encourage and edify our families. That's our job. You think about the minas and the talents, the parables, with what we do now, if we can do well with it now, God then knows he can trust us with something great in the future. Because whatever we do now, it's only little in comparison to what's coming. It's only small. And our families, well, in one way, certainly a big deal for sure, right? But it's small compared to what's coming. And how well do we do with our families now? It's our job to turn away from these things and to teach and train our children in God's way of life. As followers of Jesus Christ in the Bible, it's our responsibility to teach and train our children in God's way. Let's turn to Malachi 2. Malachi 2. We're either going to go really short here or we're going to go really long. No, we're not going to go really long. Just kidding. Malachi 2. We're familiar with this. What's at least one of the major reasons for marriage? One of the major reasons for a family? Malachi 2 and verse 14. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, between, uh, uh, with whom you have dealt treacherously, she, yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Verse 15. But did he not make them one? having a remnant of the Spirit. And why one? Why did God make husband and wife one? One of the reasons, at least one of the main reasons. Continuing verse 15, he seeks godly offspring, children that are brought up and taught God's way of life and want and desire that way of life to put that way of life into action in their own lives. That's what he wants. Godly offspring, children that will be like him, children that will one day become a part of his family. That's what he wants. That's what he wants from, from us as parents and grandparents. He wants us to teach our children. And we all know that, of course. That's, that's what we're trying to do. And, of course, we can always grow and improve. I want to read from, uh, if you haven't read uh, Successful Parenting God's Way, I would encourage you to read that. Very, very powerful booklet. Very helpful. I, I know for my family and I, it's helped shape the way we, we think about and interact with, with our family, and I'm sure uh, many have gained a lot from it. If you haven't read it, I would encourage you reading it. Even if you're not a parent, it just gives perspective and, and understanding. If anybody asks, you know, even if you're, you're not a parent, you can give Input and advice uh, as, as it's appropriate. I want to read from page two. Uh, Dr. Fall writes, For Christian parents, the ultimate goal is to lay a foundation in their children's young, impressionable years, so they will always desire to fully seek God as their father. That is the goal. Though parents cannot force children to make the right decisions, the goal of godly parenting is to help our children want to walk in the footsteps of parents who are living God's way of life and who are walking in the footsteps of their spiritual father. As parents, 
We want to develop our children's desire to follow God, not just emphasize our desire for them to follow God. So building that desire in them, that's a part of it. Thinking about why God chose Abraham, let's go to Genesis 18. Genesis 18. So here's Abraham, Abraham and Sarah. God chose Abraham. He wanted Abraham eventually to become a great nation, and company of nations as we understand. And why did he choose him? We have at least part of the answer here in Genesis 18, right before um, God is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Drink some water here. So the good thing about going first is it doesn't matter which cup you pick up. Genesis 18 and verse 17. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed by him, started out as a husband and wife, Abraham and Sarah. But to become something great, something great that God wanted His truth carried down through. And it is the Israelite nations that have held on in in a certain way to God and to God's Word. To whatever truth is out there. Verse 19, For I have known him, in order that he may command his children and his household after him. He knew, God knew, that Abraham would continue to teach his statutes, his judgments, his commandments to his children and his children, his children's children. That he may keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. He trusted and knew that Abraham would do what he wanted him to do, and that was to teach his children and his children's children down through the generations. And as Christians, as God's people, that is our job. To teach our children and our children's children. And to make sure this way of life continues with everything within our power, we can't control all of it, but everything within our power to help teach and carry it on for generations. And there are some in here who are fourth and fifth generations in God's church. Fourth and fifth generations. Because it has been faithfully taught and faithfully carried on. And that is our job. So in this sermon, we'll examine three practical and proven points that promote healthy families. Three practical and proven points that promote healthy families. The title of the sermon is Three Structural Keys to Build a Healthy Family. Three structural keys. And the reason I say they're structural keys is because these are are something we can immediately put into action. 
and they'll provide a structure around which we can teach, we have opportunities to teach God's ways. We have opportunities to build, opportunities to converse and spend time with our children and grandchildren. These are certainly not the only three keys that can work, for sure. These are just three keys that have, uh, there are scientific studies behind at least a couple of them that we'll look at that show that they help the family structure. These points are meant to be practical and applicable uh, to, uh, to put it into action in our lives. Whether we're parents or grandparents or don't have any children yet but are planning on having children, uh, these points are meant to provide, as I mentioned, a structure that, uh, that has evidence of helping and building the family. <clears throat> Which Meaning that just by applying these points, it can put our family ahead of the curve, just by applying these points, it could put us out ahead. Uh, these points are meant to provide an infrastructure around uh, in which we can follow through with the command to teach our children. I'll read again from Successful Parenting God's Way in, on page 26. Dr. Fall writes, Parents should constantly point out to their children the benefits of God's way of life. Sitting on the couch, watching television, driving down the street, reading the paper, at every opportunity when God's way of life can be contrasted with the suffering of this world's lifestyle. There is no shortage of examples in this sick world. The question is, will parents put in the effort? That, that's the question. That's the hard part. Because, boy, yeah, it is hard. That's for sure. It's hard to have those, you know, and that's where, you know what, we fall down, we get back up. We fall down, we get back up. We keep going. So, uh, Stephen Covey's um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective Families, he mentions, has a, a, a section devoted to it. The idea that, you know what, you're going to be off 90% of the time but who cares? Get back on. That's what he, he mentions in there. Get back on track. It's so easy to fall off. And it, but it's okay. Just continue to get back up and get back on track. And the point gets across to the children. Continuing with uh, Dr. Fall's statement, he says, relying on church services by themselves will not accomplish the task. Parents must reinforce lessons learned in the church. So it must be reinforced whenever possible, wherever possible, with both a mother's nurturing love and the gentle teaching, uh, love and gentle teaching, and a father's consistent guidance and support. Let's go to Deuteronomy 6. We're familiar with this. Deuteronomy 6 and verse... Seven. <clears throat> and again, we'll get into the points in just a minute. Just want to set it up for the points. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, all the time, all the time we teach God's way of life to our children. 
You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, what we do with our hand, and shall be as frontlets between your eyes, what we think with our mind. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house. There will be something that we talk about that is intricate and, and it's a part of our family. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And these are points uh, are not so much about trying to change our children. Not trying to get our children to change. But these points are about changing maybe what we do in our family. Working and creating a structure in our family that can help and benefit our children. Not to get our children to change or to get our children to behave as much as they are about changing how we run our family and changing ourselves. You know, when I, before God called me, or before I responded to his calling, I should say, um, I did not like my brother at all. I hated my brother, actually. I actually mentioned that at his wedding. My wife gets on me every time that I, I uh, for the toast. I said, uh, you know, I used to hate my brother. That's pretty strong words. But that is, that is you know, I don't know. That, that's uh, how I felt. And then I thought it was his fault. Oh, no, no, I did. I thought he was the one that caused it. He was the problem. Then I responded to God's calling and repented and, you know, got down, prayed for the first time, really. And, you know, over the, the, the period of time that, you know, in serious repentance mode, let's say, trying to work through which way I had been going to the way I needed to go. And, no joke, within... A week, we were best friends, and he didn't change at all. It was only me. Only me that changed. And we were best friends. Ah, it was my fault. The whole thing, for all those years, was my fault. This isn't about changing our children are changing their behavior as much as it is about changing how we interact. Let's go to Ephesians 6, verse 1. Well, if I don't quickly get to these points, we're not even going to have time to go over the points. Ephesians 6 and verse 1. That'd be really disappointing, though. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And any children? Hey, are there any children? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Children, I want to see. Oh, wow. Like small children. Okay. <laughs> I see one. That's good. There's a couple. All right, good. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. That's what God says. For this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And verse 4, I think verse 4 is so important. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. There's a, there's a right way to do it, and there's a wrong way to do it. There's a right way, 
and a wrong way. So, the three points, we'll get into the three points now. Very, very simple, simple points. The first is eating together as a family. Making sure to eat together as a family. In Dolores Curran's book, entitled Traits of a Healthy Family, uh, this has been encouraged. I know Dr. Douglas Winnale has encouraged uh, many to read this book over time, and, and as well as many others, but uh, it's a helpful book. In her book, on page 58, uh, writing about dinner uh, with the heading, um, the heading of the, the portion that I'll read is entitled, Trait Number 13, The Healthy Family Fosters Table Time and Conversation. She writes, the family that wants to improve its level of communication should look closely at its attitude toward the family table. Is the family table time and conversation important? Is it optional? Is it open and friendly? Or is it warlike and sullen? Is it conducive to sharing more than food? Does it encourage the sharing of ideas, feelings, and family intimacies? That time together. You know, there's often during any given day, not another time when all of the family has the opportunity to be together. It's during, oftentimes, dinner. It could be at a different, uh, you know, it could be at lunch somehow, if that could work, or breakfast maybe. But a time spent together, eating and sharing we're to teach our, top, our children at every opportunity, for sure. But here's an opportunity when the whole family is together and can learn the same lessons together. It allows the family to catch up. It allows children to explain how their day went. It allows the adults, the parents, to explain how their day went. And this interaction, how to, how to deal with various situations that may not otherwise come up. In fact, they're, they're, they're not going to otherwise come up as far as how a parent might uh, interact or deal with a certain situation at work or during the day or with some friends or whatever. It's not going to come up in the child's life, not at the table. It's not going to come up. They're going to be playing with their toys. They're going to be involved in their own little world. This truly exposes them to more. The Daily Herald uh, wrote an article uh, highlighting a study that was done. The, benefit, uh, the benefits of eating together as a family, is the, the article's entitled. Re, I'll read from that. It says, conversations at mealtime reap positive benefits. Recent studies suggest that families who unplug and gather together at mealtimes experience a positive impact on many childhood behaviors. Listen, just simply following this one point doesn't require, it's, it's a proactive measure. It doesn't require reactively curbing the problems I'm about to mention. It's proactive. 
Many, it, it helps, it has a positive impact on many childhood behaviors, such as less substance abuse, reduced teen pregnancies, and lower instances of childhood depression. In many cases, kids who eat dinner on a regular basis with their family have also have higher esteem, self-esteem, and above-average grade point averages. Having regular conversations around the dinner table can help boost vocabulary and public speaking skills. Eating home-cooked meals can also have a positive effect on childhood obesity. This one point. This article continues, Raising kids takes time and intention. Turning mealtimes into a safe haven to share updates can have a lasting effect on kids' lives. If there is a lull in the conversation, be prepared to share about your day. Perhaps a funny story will get everyone laughing and help the kids open up. Listen to this part, too, because this is important, I think. If this isn't, uh, I'm sure that it's, it's normal for, for most of us, uh, you know, the level to which we, we put it as a, a priority the degree to which we put it as a priority, we can ask those questions to ourselves if we're, not, if we're already doing it. But if we're not, if it's not normal yet, it says, uh, if this is new in family, if this is a new family tradition, don't expect everyone to be on board right away. Take the lead and be vulnerable. Kids want to have a safe place to share and they will, they will follow your lead. All they need is someone to show the way. You know, for a few, uh, couple of these other points, or at least one of the other points of the three, I asked my kids last night, I said, you know, was it awkward when we started doing some of these things? Because it felt, honestly, it felt awkward to me to kind of start something that wasn't already being done. It felt awkward you know, for maybe like a minute. <laughs> but then you, you get over it, you get past it. And the kids said, they had no idea it was awkward for me. The only person who it was awkward for was me. Meal times, the article continues, make meal times a time your family looks forward to each day. So this one key helps. I'm going to read from, uh, I'm not read, but just list out some points, some additional benefits that the American College of Pediatricians reported on. The benefits of family table, of the family table. One is academic benefits. Forty percent, I'm sorry, those who eat dinner with their family on a regular basis are 40% more likely to have A's and B's in school. Like we said, higher than average, grade point average. You know, with that, because maybe why? Well, there's a certain accountability there. You know, you're sitting there with dad and and mom at the table, and they want to know how things went. It encourages family discussion, the study uh, continues, or the report continues. Encourages family discussion, healthy nutrition, less likely to have eating disorders, more likely to, have, to eat healthier overall. It encourages and causes less television viewing time. It uh, has a decreased, kids who do it on a regular basis, have decreased 
risk of drug, alcohol, and nicotine use, decreased uh, other high-risk behaviors such as sexual activity and depression, which we already heard about, improved family relations, and it has several points uh, under improved family relations. Teens have, uh, having frequent family dinners are more likely to report having excellent relations with their family. This one simple key made a priority in the household. One and a half times, kids would be one and a half times more likely to have an excellent relationship with their mother, twice as likely to have an excellent relationship with their father. Teens surveyed state that, uh, that they like family meal times. And 71% of teenagers in one survey said that they consider talking and catching up and spending time with family members as the best part of family dinners. And another uh, benefit, as mentioned in this report, is less emotional stress. What are some things that could be talked about at the family dinner table? One is family lessons that come out during the day, uh, how the family's day went, how the children's day went, what happened. And, of course, then there's this interaction, the children, the parents being able to teach and help and, and have, take advantage of teachable moments. Talking about family goals. Boy, when the family's on board with it, Boy, it, it, is, it, it makes it fun. And what can the family do to improve, to grow? And getting that from the kids. And boy, they have great ideas. Okay, so point number one. Key number one. Eat dinner together as a family. Key number two. Read together as a family. Reading together out loud as a family. New York Times article uh, reporting on a study that was done. And the name of the article, the title of the article is Reading Aloud to Young Children Has Benefits for Behavior and Attention. Just implementing this. Again, a proactive step. Study performed, the article uh, says... A study performed by the American Academy of Pediatricians. Um, this study was about reading and playing. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, this is just some comments I have. Uh, this study was about reading and playing together with your children. I want to focus on the reading portion. We're going to focus on reading. The study says, the article says, a new study provides evidence of just how sustained an impact reading can have on shaping the social and emotional development in children in ways that go far beyond helping them learn language and literacy skills. Just reading with them has impacts that go far beyond just their literacy skills. The parent-child book moment even has potential to curb problem behaviors like aggression, hyperactivity, and difficulty with attention. Reading, in, in this, these studies, reading meant stronger positive impacts on children's behavior. 
Parents should appreciate the ways that reading and playing can shape cognitive as well as social and emotional development and the power of parental attention to help children flourish. Dr. Wiseletter said that, uh, said that in reading and playing, children can encounter situations a little more challenging than they than would usually come up across everyday life. You read about circumstances and situations that the children would probably never experience, or at least not experience until adulthood. And adults, the article continues, and adults can help them think about how to manage those situations. Sitting around at the dinner table, sitting in the living room, helping them to analyze and to figure out and think through these problems of what to do and discern and judge what was right, what was wrong. How should this have better been done? Reading aloud, the article continues, reading aloud and playing imaginative games with uh, may offer special social and emotional opportunities. We think when parents read uh, with their children more, the children have an opportunity to think about characters and to think about the feelings of those characters. They learn to use words to describe feelings that are otherwise difficult. And this enables them to better control their behavior when they have when they have challenging feelings of like anger or sadness themselves. It provides them with tools to be able to manage feelings and emotions that many have trouble dealing with. And I would encourage... Uh, how to put it into action, just a, a couple of thoughts. Not, uh, you know, small books. The, the kids will soak up anything we put in front of them. They will soak up anything we put in front of them. So not the clock goes tick-tock. Not that at the dinner table. But something with substance. Autobiographies, biographies of successful people. They will take up anything that we put in front of them. Uh, I know when uh, I know that uh, one person had encouraged this, and we we tried it at the house. Uh, this is years ago, and uh, I was reading a book. It was called My Grandfather's Son. It was the it's the autobiography of Clarence Thomas. I said, well, you know, let me just try to read some of this. Right, interesting part of it. You know, I read it out loud to the family, and and boy, they they liked that. Right, and then the next Friday we were going to have uh, a sleepover just with the family in the living room. So we were all going to sleep in the living room, just have fun doing that. And I thought, you know, hey, kids, you want to read before we go to bed? And again, just kind of getting used to this, didn't really know. I was thinking, you know, the clock goes tick-tock, okay? And they said, no, no, we want to read about Clarence Thomas. I said, what? Why do you want to? You don't want to read some fun stories? No, they wanted to read about Clarence Thomas. They got engaged in the little bit that we read, a few pages that we read. They got engaged in it. They will soak up anything that's put in front of them. So, and that's where some real benefits can come. Point number three. So point number two is reading together as a family. Point number three is praying together as a family. Praying together as a family. 
This puts God in the center of the family relationship. It's very clear. It's very abundantly clear. When the family gets down on their knees together, and the parents look to God, and the children know that the parents look to God for guidance, for input, for direction, for advice, for help, for saving us from trials, for other, any various or host of issues. And the parents see that. I mean, the children see that. The children know that. The children know who to go to when there's trouble. The children know who to go to when they need help, when they need encouragement, when they need strength. Making a regular, regular habit. Even if we're tired, even if we don't feel like it, making it an absolute priority in our family. It teaches the children how to pray. It teaches them how to pray. How to, they learn from their parents by watching and listening. Otherwise, truly, how would they know? How would they know? They're not going to see it in the movies. They're not going to see it on television or some video game or whatever from their parents. The proper way to pray. It teaches them when to pray and for what we what reasons to pray. It could be at night. It might be when tensions are high. I know in our family that never ever happens. I'm just kind of joking. But when tensions are high, you pray and ask God for peace, help us to have right attitudes, help us and guide us, correct us. They see how to work through those. When making tough decisions, when a tough decision needs to be made, asking and praying for, for God's uh, guidance and direction with that. Uh, just, in fact, I don't think this is anything... I'm sure most of us do these things, so I'll tell this story, as most of us would have stories similar to this, but it was encouraging to us. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, we've been talking about getting a dog recently, and uh, there was one dog that came up as an opportunity to, to get. It was a friend uh, in Atlanta that we were going to maybe gra- go down and pick up this dog, and this friend didn't want the dog. It was a little puppy. Little, why did they get the puppy? I have no idea. They don't want it anymore, right? So, anyways, little puppy, cute little dog. And, oh, you know, it's not the right time. Uh, you know, do we really need this dog? Of course, the kids want it, right? And, you know, they've already prayed for a cat against our will, and, of course, God gave us a cat, you know, uh, because of their prayers. We were praying for no cat, but God answered their prayer. But, anyways, uh, this dog, right? So, we're praying, oh, we, we want guidance. We, we've been talking about it. There was one time I, I had come home, and, uh, we're talking about it for 20 minutes, just kind of back and forth about, you know, is it the right time? What do we, I, I really don't know right now. We really don't know. So we all got down, we prayed, we you know, kneeled down, we prayed there in the living room. And while we were praying, the, the little text noise went off on my wife's phone. And we continued to pray and just kind of asking for God to show us what he wanted and, and that because we just didn't know, it wasn't clear to us. And we get up, and what do you know? The text was, hey, someone just came and picked up the dog. We said, all right, that's wonderful. That was the answer, right? 
God answered it for us, but it was something. So now there's these, and you know, we've all had these experiences. That's nothing you know, special in that way. We've all had these experiences. It gives the family something to look to, to remember. And a shared experience together with God working in that. How powerful is that? And it only happens through praying together. And giving the opportunity for the children to pray as well. Maybe going around and the, the children praying. And boy, you learn what's on their mind, what's important to them. And it's not always just little, you know, dolls and Legos and stuff. It's, it's important stuff. that they, they, their, their mind is often bigger, at least, than I you know, would have naturally attributed because they are made in God's image. So, uh, Dr. Dobson's focus on the family. Uh, he points out on an article about praying together. Prayer, prayer promotes unity. Prayer promotes emotional intimacy with the family. Prayer invites God into your relationship, showing who really is in charge here. And prayer changes relationships, helps build and encourage those relationships. So point number three is pray together as a family. Let's go to Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22 and verse 6. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Providing a structure to be able to teach and train our children. And this, this structure that we talked about, these, these three structural keys, by themselves have benefits, by themselves provide this infrastructure for the family to work within. We add in teaching God's ways and God's way of life and how that fits in with the Ten Commandments, the various problems and and troubles of life, and how to judge right from wrong, giving advice, giving, sharing wisdom, that helps. And this is a a structure that uh, can be worked within that puts us ahead of the curve. It can, has has a potential to do that. So in this sermon, we've covered three structural keys to provide a breeding ground for healthy families. Eating together as a family, reading together as a family, and praying together as a family. We're already doing these things, and great, we can keep growing in it, because you can always, always improve and grow and build on it. If we've done these things in the past, but we've gotten off track, that's fine. That, that's the way it goes. We get back on track, and you fall off, and you get back on again. 
if we're not already doing these things, and remember, it could be awkward to begin sometimes, but only for about a minute or two. And then it has eternal rewards. Eternal rewards. If implemented, the benefits can be peace and happiness and joy for generations for our children that can one day become a part of God's family for all eternity.